You're tuned in. To the Weekend Variety Wireless with Ryan Bradley in for Graham Hill on Radio Live. This hour on the Weekend Variety Wireless, we get sceptical with Susie Wiles, who is standing by to come in the studio next. We will talk about the supplement world. Yep, vitamins, supplements, all that well-beingness that you can buy and we compare the advertising spend on television and other mediums of media of this whole wellness industry over the past couple of years. A notable increase. Also, we'll talk about the role that psychics have when it comes to solving murders. No doubt there'll be some sceptics out there or some believers Give a little pages can also be controversial, particularly if they're raising money for cancer treatments that are unproven. Looking at research in Britain in regards to how much is being spent on those particular pages, how much do Brits give to cancer patients who then go and pay people a lot of money for treatments that are not proven to work. All that after the break here on Radio Live. This is the Weekend Variety Wireless. Ryan Bradley in this weekend for Graham Hill. Life, the universe, and everything in between. Graham Hill's Weekend Variety Wireless on Radio Live. Time to get sceptical now with sceptical thoughts and welcome into the studio, Susie Wiles. Hi, Susie, how are you? Hi, I'm good, thanks. How are you? Good, thank you. I love this part of the show. It's it's my favourite part of Sunday. Don't tell Tamar that. But tonight, some interesting topics. Firstly, the crowdfunding industry. Can you call it an industry? Because crowdfunding is starting to become very serious. And in the UK, we've seen a spike in the amount of crowdfunding uh, that's certainly being appealed for for cancer patients. Yeah, it actually is happening everywhere. I mean, we see it here in New Zealand as well. Um, but the story's in the news because there's a charity in the UK called um, the Good Thinking Society who are really uh, all about kind of critical thinking and stuff. Mm. Um, and they've just done an analysis of a couple of the crowdfunding sites in the UK and then looked at um, how much money is being raised for cancer treatments. Um, and what they're really interested in is how much is money is being raised for treatments that basically have no basis in evidence. Mm. Um, and, and I guess the reason the UK is good for this is that it has a national health service. So essentially most people will be getting treatment, you know, for free. Yes. Um, and so there is really no need to, to be crowdfunding for your treatment um, unless it's something that's um, that's not available. So that would usually be maybe the more risky therapies that haven't been quite proven yet, but also people who are more or less being conned and are going somewhere, you know, they have terminal cancer and they're basically going, uh, they've been promised hope by somebody and they're raising money for that. Um, and so what they've done is looked back over uh, the last few years up to 2012, um, two websites, GoFundMe and Just Giving, mm. and then looked at how much money's been raised essentially for this sort of pseudoscientific treatments for cancer. Uh, and the figures are quite staggering um nearly eight million pounds in in total since 2012 wow, raised. raised yep just on those two sites um that's a lot of giving 
that is a lot of giving. Yeah. So what would that be? Uh, like double it, I guess, to get into New Zealand. Absolutely, dollars. it's a yes. lot of money. Yeah. So um, over sixteen million dollars. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing that was really interesting is they looked at where people were raising money to go for therapy. Mm. Um, and the 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 big ones, actually, the the biggest one is Germany, which we'll get back to in a minute. But um, the other ones were uh, Mexico um, and the USA. And so the people who are raising money to go to the USA are not going to um, to go to, or well, most of them are not going to, um, you know, legitimate trials in American hospitals or medical schools. They're um, going to one particular place called the Brzezinski Clinic. And we've talked about Brzezinski before on this show. Um, he's this guy in Texas who who has been running clinical trials, in inverted commas, um, for cancer for oh, 30 years or so. And the, the medical boards over there have been trying to shut him down for years, but he just sort of squirms out of it. And he's he's morphed now. He's, he used to, well, he used to mainly offer this thing, these things called um, anti-neoplastins, mm. which I think were were some kind of chemical got from horse pee or something. Um, Lovely. And yeah, yeah. And now he offers these antineoplastins in combination with uh, with real drugs. But he uses those real drugs just in, a, well, they call it personalized medicine, but it's basically we're just going to give you tons of these drugs that have maybe never been used for your actual type of cancer. Sort of a, a an everything in the kitchen sink kind of approach to treating cancer. He um, must be he must be a pretty slick operation if he's very. been and and expensive. Yeah, because he actually also has his own um, pharmacy. So so you have to buy the drugs from his pharmacy. Oh, he's a one-stop shop. Yeah, and there was an analysis done where he basically charges huge amounts more than if you bought those drugs from those drugs from somewhere else. Mm. So you mm. have to buy them from him to get treated by him and he charges a markup. And he, yeah, anyway, so that's where people were going in the, in the US. But the thing that I found really interesting was um, hearing about a clinic in Germany that I'd never heard of before, uh, which looks like a really, really expensive place to go. So uh, in terms of the money raised in the UK, uh, it's nearly five million pounds and nearly 10 million of that uh, dollars of that money was going to essentially for people to go to this clinic in Germany which uh, was just charging like thousands and thousands a day and again it's a little like you know we'll do personalized care uh, we'll do chemotherapy but also do a whole load of other essentially bogus treatments and stuff. I guess when some people are terminal which is very very sad Maybe there are life insurance policies that can also be cashed in and they're just willing to throw as much as they can at anything they can to give themselves a chance of life. And and it's just sad, I guess, that there are companies or organisations that are preying on that vulnerability. Yeah, it's really sad because instead of people spending their last months, uh, you know, with their families preparing they've kind of got this sort of false hope and it, it is a tricky one so one of the um the good thing about this article so it was published in the british medical journal the bmj um, and they did have some interviews with people and one of one of the interviews was with somebody who said look you know my my relative sister whatever had uh, terminal cancer we we crowdfunded she spent a huge amount of money she went to this place but she actually she she and she died but in her final months, she felt like she was in control, like she had some kind of say over her treatment. Mm. And so that's a really tricky thing, you know, this, this how do you give somebody control? But equally, how do you, I mean, these people are scamsters. They shouldn't be able to get away with, mm. you know, scamming all these millions and millions of sick, vulnerable people. Well, how I've, do we give those people 
hope when there is none. I have given a little to a cancer patient in the South Island. I'm not going to go into it too much, but the reason he's passed, passed away now too, he's died. But the reason I gave it is because he appealed and said, this is just for my family when I go. Everything that's raised here is just to send me off and then I want my fam- my family to have be provided for for yeah. at least a year or two if they can without my income essentially. So I dug deep. I gave him 100 bucks because I thought that was a really nice plight. He, it wasn't a selfish, I want yeah. money to, to, to treat this or, mm. or get... And I'm not saying that's selfish, asking people to help you with cancer treatment, but in New Zealand, in the UK, the point you make that I find very, very interesting, well, the, the crucial point is we have a public health system that funds treatment of, of, of these cancers mm. uh, and you don't need to be raising money for your treatment. If you want to go private, of course there's that option, but really should you be asking Tom, Dick, Harry and all your friends and family to chip in for this? I'm not so sure. Yeah, well, and so there's the other thing that the article raises was, was two points. So one was they think that there should be some controls in it. So those crowdfunding platforms should actually not be allowing uh, people to raise money for dubious things. Mm. So they were like, there should be some re- rules around this. Um, and then the other thing they raised was the, was the role of of the media um because we see these stories all the time this kind of you know heartfelt please help this family you know that this terrible thing has happened and and so they you know they're going to go and try and get this treatment and stuff and if it's a bogus treatment there's usually like two lines at the bottom that say you know this is not (laughs) no evidence base for this but Mm. anyway and so they're actually saying actually the media has a role to play in not giving these you know not letting these things happen one of the issues that was raised with this german clinic was um was that actually they are misleading people about what their success rates are and i think that that goes for most of these things it's the same with Bazinski. that they let people believe that there are lots and lots of people who survive when they take these types of treatments mm. um and that may be true for like five minutes <laughs> but when you look out this is not true at all and most of those people um they don't survive and so it's again that kind of false hope so many, suckers, so many suckers out there. Oh, it's just really, it's really, it's wrong. It's I know. Wrong. It's yeah. shocking. And and the, and the worst thing is when there is a sad story, sometimes on the news or sometimes broadcast here on Radio Live, I get to look at the text machine, Susie, sometimes in the producer's studio over there, and you go in and it says, set up a give a little. Where's the give a little page? And there's actually listeners out there that are, that are encouraging. They want to help. Exactly. Yeah. They want to help. There, there has to be an avenue to help someone who's in a, in a rough situation. And, and, and that, that recent one in Bali where that, that, that poor lady was in hospital and, and it's so expensive and the medical insurance didn't pay out and they were trying to fly home. And I think that's a legitimate, that absolutely. is an absolutely that's legitimate thing for. to bring her home. Um, absolutely. I have no no issues with those kinds of things. The same, you know, uh, yeah, there are so many legitimate uses for crowdfunding. That's right. Um, in these kinds of cases, though, you know, they're clearly not. And if you really want to be contributing to, you know, treatment, like the, the treatments, Go and give your money to a research, you know. That's right. Help fund actual proper clinical trials and things. Don't, don't, they know that that is eight million pounds, 16 million dollars that could have been spent on real medical research. Mm, that's good point. Thing, yeah, that, that, that's the key point, isn't it? Um, do you know, just off the top of your head, what, how these crowdfunding pages make money? Is it advertising or do they actually take a small percentage or is there an admin fee? I, I don't know how it works. Yeah, there's an admin fee. So um, there are lots, lots of them are different, um, but essentially there's a there's a percentage. I think it may be five or eight percent or something is what goes as the as the as the 
at the cost at the end. Oh well. And so, so there are there. It depends on the platform for use. So so some of the ones that are because um, I've used these for my research, um, people can can opt to add a little extra that will help to pay that fee. But mm. yes, that's how they make their money in the in the fees. Okay, let's move on to grief vampires. <laughs> That, that's quite scary. I love this phrase. I've never really heard this, and it was just um, in a recent uh, a recent article I saw I saw this reference. So, um, essentially, there's a it's a sad story. There's a lady in Northland who went missing uh, in February, mm. um, and uh, and her family haven't seen her since. Um, and her family have been contacted by a psychic, who has given them very detailed information about what they think has happened to this lady really quite horrible stuff I do, mean, you want, if you, do you want to go into can, it you can, go into yeah. it go into so it. they say she was picked up in a white double cab flat deck truck uh, she was taken somewhere up north that had a red barn and there she was punched in the head had her jaw broken she was stabbed raped and killed and her body was dumped so somebody has gone to the family of this lady who's missing and said, this is what's happened to your relative. That's confronting. Very confronting. The um, So, yeah, this was reported, I think, in the Herald. Um, and uh, the kind of interesting thing is that, um, so the brother, I think her brother is quoted, or his, some relative of hers is quoted as saying, basically, this is a load of beep, uh, mm. and I'm going to report it to the authorities. So I'm not sure whether... And, and then the police are quoted as saying, you know, we, we like, obviously, if anybody has any information, please come to us with this information. Mm. We don't use psychics. <laughs> but I actually wonder whether there's a case for hauling this person in and finding out, well, you know, if you know something, <laughs> it's not because you're psychic, right? I mean, is, is there any legitimate information here um, which will not be based on, you know, the ability to speak to the dead. Um, what What do you think of sensing bullshit? Well, I, mean, I mean, sorry, <laughs> sensing murder. Sorry. It's really interesting, isn't it, that in all the seasons that they have been going, they, they have ever not solved, solved one a yet? single no. crime. No. I mean, you know, this this is just, it's nonsense. And so it was really nice to see the um, chair of the New Zealand Skeptics uh, interviewed by the Herald in relation to this. And this is where this grief, grief vampire comes in. So he, he calls these um, these psychics basically grief vampires that, you know, they're preying on vulnerable people. Again, preying on vulnerable people. This is this is not a good thing. And How? I don't know, because on Sensing BS, they <laughs> they get this picture and they turn up and they're able to identify the picture. And, and it's quite believable and they can... You know, they can be taken on the taxi ride and stop at certain places. And it seems all believable, but they always seem to get to the point that as far as the police or everyone else knows, and it goes no further. And that's the point, right? I mean, what we are seeing is very carefully choreographed show with producers and, you know, we're only ever seeing some edit, right? That's right. We don't see the bits they've missed. We don't see, you know, what the they have The wrong stuff. Right. We don't know whether they've gone and got a whole list of, well, who, who are the people who are missing and various things. You know, they've got a list. And mm. so you just start throwing out some common characteristics. And, you're, and, and this is the thing about humans. We are amazing at being deceived and deceiving ourselves, right? Mm. When somebody gives us a list of things, we will p- pick the ones that speak to us. We're like, oh, yes, yes, that one, that one, that one, that one. And we will miss all of the things that are not relevant for us. You know, we'll just completely mm. dismiss them. And and really, it's just a chance thing. And, you know, when somebody, I mean, these, you know, these techniques, cold reading, you know, this is, this, is a, this, is a, this is a thing that people do. And it's a way that we're vulnerable. Um, the thing I find really interesting is whether, I think some of these psychics, they... They actually reach a stage where they believe it themselves. 
And so we find we 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 walk a really tight line, right, between um, these people who are genuinely trying to help, I think, versus those who are actually utter scam artists. It's mm. very hard mm. to tell the difference. But they're all essentially vulnerable, you know, preying on vulnerable people, and that's why I think <coughs> even if they are well-meaning. It comes back yeah. to the title that we started with, Grief Vampires. Yeah. And that, you know, those ones that are ambulance chasing those poor families with missing people and mm. turning up and coming up with ghastly stories like that without any investigational proof mm. to, uh, to say that that's fact at all. I they, agree. Great grief also, vampires. Yeah, they, she also actually gave a, a description of the perpetrator. Um, and so oh, she get said, it out there. Go oh, get it out there. Tell everyone. Well, somebody who looked really rough was wearing camouflage gear and had a ring on his left finger that has a, a green stone on it. I mean, Ooh, green stone ring. There you go. But, you know, again, given how people can be, I mean, are they now going to be some poor, rough-looking people with rings on their fingers hauled over hot coals because they are responsible for, you know, the murder of this woman who... It's just like, uh, and mm. we know humans do this, right? I mean, this has been... You know, the mention of paedophile in somebody's thing and suddenly everybody's out with pitchforks and whether mm. there's evidence or not, it's just really, we have to be really careful about how... Have you ever been to a psychic yourself? And and I don't perhaps mean genuinely to, to, to know, but just to test them or, or to see as part of a, being a sceptic, have you been to a psychic and had a reading? Or? No, but Maybe I have... We, should we send Mark along? He'd be good at that. <laughs> he loves that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, send Mark. <laughs> um, have I ever... Yeah, I don't... I think I ever have. I, don't, I just wouldn't want. I mean, God, who wants? No, 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 <laughs> no. no I have no interest in that kind no, of. There thing. used to be one on the radio. I don't know if it's on this. There used to be one in Ponsonby Central. She had a little booth. I don't know whether she's still there. Yeah, but um, yeah, well, Madame probably, whatever. They're probably a little Madame bit expensive in the, well, the lease exactly. rates in Ponsonby. <laughs> exactly. Maybe she might pray in in the in the market somewhere a bit cheaper. Let's get on to. The massive increase in the advertising spend on vitamins and supplements. It's always been a, a large market. The, the sort of pharmaceuticals we ring fence, but it's very grey now between the supplements and vitamins mm. and pharmaceuticals. And, and there are whole shops of them. Uh, it's a very grey area. wellness industry. Is, it, is that what we call it? Wellness the wellness industry. The wellness. Yes, that, that's essentially taking advantage of people who are probably not getting enough sleep. And, you know, everybody has busy lives and so you might not eat enough fruit and get enough exercise. And so there's this whole idea that, you know, you need to be doing more for optimum wellness. Um, and optimum the way, wellness. Yes. And the way you get that is, of course, by, uh, by supplements and, and vitamins and things, which essentially are, in best case scenario, making really expensive pee. Worst case scenario could actually be really bad for your health. That. I mean, that's the. That's you mean the, really expensive peers and. You're just peeing out. Oh, yes. yeah, yeah, you're expensive yeah, yeah, urine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're, yeah. Just take, you're spending a lot of money, you're taking these a lot things of, in, and yeah. you're just then peeing it out. A lot of blokes <laughs> do that on Friday and Saturday nights, too. They piss a lot up against the wall. Um, yes. Anyway, so this was, uh, again, a really nice article in the Herald um, that looked at the amount of money that's been spent um, on vitamins and supplements and in terms of advertising. And so it looks like there's this kind of survey done in 
this might be the first time they've broken it into that category, but um, mm -hmm. what they've what they've printed is essentially the spend in 2007 compared to 2000 and sorry 2017 compared to 2018. Yes. Um, and the important thing about these numbers when I give them to you is that they're essentially for the first half of the year. So double them and you get like the yearly figure, right. I guess. Got it. Um, so in and then they also break it down by platform, which is also really interesting to see. So the place where the most money is spent is on TV. Um, so in 2017, this was 1.8 million spent advertising vitamins and supplements yep. on TV. In 2018, 4.4 million. That's quite wow. a and jump. That, and that, that, is that in half of 2018? Yeah. That's, That's quite sort of 300 percentish yeah. already. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Um, so uh, then the next category is digital. That's gone from 185,000 in 2017 to 919, so nearly. A million dollars in the first half of 2018 um, and then there's magazines there's radio there's newspapers um, but yeah it's a total of let's have a look um, in 2018 so well in the six months 6.3 million spent on advertising um, vitamins and supplements but that's half their problem they've got to sell themselves as being shows... reputable and particularly the TV that's the most expensive medium of marketing possible but it Susie. shows it works right it mm. shows if they're willing to spend 6.3 million I can only imagine how much they're getting back in sales who control? Who controls the market are there some big players or some big brands out there that, that have the supplement market or are there lots of little players I noticed there's a, there's a lot of supplement shops um, in Chinese areas of town that's mm. just purely imported supplements and and they're into things like the deer velvet and, and a lot of those uh, those yes. natural and herbal remedies. Yes, um, the things with no evidence to back them up. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, but it, you know, it seems to be a quite spread out sort of sort of market as far as I've seen. I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm not into them at all. The, but, but what I will say, like in the middle of winter. And when the coughs and the colds are going around, I chew on a few vitamin C, 1,000 milligram vitamin C tablets. So he's saying that those uh, are okay just to boost my vit C's or should I just be getting stuck into more kiwi fruit? Oh, you've put me on the spot now. I can't remember. It may well be that that's one of the ones for which there's actually very little evidence that they work. Um, the vit C ones? Yeah. If you're interested, there is a really, really cool website. Um, mm. So it's... It's called Information is Beautiful, and the one you're, it's a basically a visualization website. The one you're looking for is snake oil supplements. Okay. And what they, they have done is this beautiful visualization where um, they are actually taking all the evidence. Um, so they publish the published trials and stuff, and then they essentially put these little bubbles as to, so should you take this or not? And they have a line that basically has the worth it line. So if it's above the line, it's worth taking it. If it's below the line, it's not. Clever. And then it goes down to, is this actually downright dangerous? So they give kind of the levels Ooh. of evidence and stuff. Um, and so you can go on there and you can pick. So there's a whole bunch of, uh, you can say like, everything. Give me everything that there's evidence for. And then you can pick the circles up in the worth it line. Or you could go, I'm interested in colds and I'm interested in vitamins. Tick those and then they'll have a look. Uh, so have a look and see. And I can't remember whether there's something, in, there was something else you're supposed to take instead of vitamin C, I think. You know what, I reckon, I reckon mm. it's worth the money I spend just to kick the placebo effect in for me. Well, you know, there that, that, is that's, that. Oh, I'm yes. taking these, I'm going to get better. Yes. I'm smashing these bitsies, I'm taking five yeah. times the amount of dose I should. I'm going to get better and what I'm feeling, be I'm, I'm, I'm taking yeah. these, I'm feeling better. 
And but the thing is that what's different to a placebo, of course, is this vitamin C does have an active ingredient. So whereas a placebo, an, a real placebo, would normally not have an active ingredient. True. So that's why it's important to know. <laughs> it kind of counteracts the placebo effect, but to know whether you're going to take something that actually might be dangerous. But it's in your head and too, that, well, isn't it? Yes, that is the placebo effect. Although um, there's been some really cool studies uh, done that show that even when you tell people it's the placebo effect, it still works. I, I, Which is pretty bloody awesome. <laughs> my mum used to take a Barocca before bedtime because it had vitamins in it. And, of course, there's no ingredients in a Barocca to keep you awake. Well, <laughs> I don't know. That's what, you know, it never kept her up and, and it never kept me up. And then they sort of come back and have marketed themselves as more of an energising thing during the day. And, and then I still see dear old mum take it before bedtime. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, so I, it, is, is it, it is about what expectation you put into it. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, and the more you spend, the more you spend and the more expectation you have, the better something will work. Now, what on earth are bar bar amber teething beads? Bar bar amber teething. Am I saying that right? Yeah, bar bar beads. Um, yes, yeah, so these are, uh, so amber teething beads are essentially little um, little. Uh, beads made out of amber, um, Baltic amber, and they uh, arrange them in a little necklace that they essentially say, if you put around a baby's neck, um, you can the babies can chew on them, and this will help them. A human teeth. baby? Human babies, yeah. So oh. this is the, this is the orig- origin of these things. Right. Um, uh, there's, I mean, again, there's a bugger all evidence that is actually a, a good, like, it works. Um, what, to help them when they teeth? Teething, for yeah. The, for the so pain. So there's all and, this kind of Well, my daughter's has, going through it. Right, don't, don't. For goodness sake, do not give her one of these things because they're actually really dangerous. Okay. You know, babies can choke on them, all manner of things. Anyway, so there's been a whole bunch of um, kind of health activists re- working really hard behind the scenes to kind of make sure that companies who are advertising these things clean up their act and aren't able to say these really nonsense claims about whether something works or not. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the teething beads might have even now have their own little, like, if you're a company advertising these, these are the things you're allowed to say and these are the things you're not. So what I was really interested to find is that this company that makes these teething beads is essentially branching out. And I wonder whether this is because the activists are being so successful. (laughs) They're having to find another product. What are they into now? ah, They're basically selling them as a way of controlling fleas on your pet. So you can now Ooh. buy an amber necklace for your pet. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, and it's just, it's hilarious. What, for, so, te- for the pet's teething? Well, no, no, no. For the So basically they say it works in two ways. So so um, this is to get rid of, of fleas and stuff. So they say that the amber beads have got um, terrapines in them. And so this is something that essentially when they rub against, this, this is all, this is all yeah, their claim. Yeah, 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 <laughs> that when it rubs yeah, against yeah. the pet's fur, uh, those, um, those molecules will basically go into the pet fur or something and will will repel the, the wow. fleas. The other thing they say is that it also <laughs> generates a mild electric uh, charge that will also repel. Oh, fleas. that's a classic one. Yeah. What I love though is that they they do state on their website uh, please note that to date there is no scientific studies to support or fully reject the above claims and consequently we do not state them to be factual. However, many people continue to report the positive results when used with their pets. So there's a little bit of sure, a, a sure. slide through there. But it's kind of interesting. Um, and it, take yes, how much do you think these things are? Oh, uh, I don't know. It's 20 or $30? 40 50 The cheapest is 45 The most expensive is 120 Oh, but if I love my little pooch. Then you'd give them proper flea treatments. <laughs> <laughs> you know what else is really good? I, mean, I don't know if this works or not, but... Um, 
my daughter's got a little ponamu, and you know when she gets she started to tease, she just chews on her ponamu, and that and and I've heard that that's fine. It's not going to ruin the teeth or anything. So. Chewing on cold hard things mm. is what kids like to do when they're teething. Mm. Mm. And and the important thing is it's big enough for them not to choke on, and that's the issue with the amber beads is that they're tiny, and so uh, you don't want kids chewing on those. Skeptical thoughts with Susie Wiles. <laughs> Thank you for coming in. My pleasure. The Weekend Variety Wireless with Ryan Bradley in for Graham Hill. You're listening to The Weekend Variety Wireless on Radio Live. We go now to the Westpac Champion Supreme Award for the Medium Large Enterprise category. And the winner was Sequent, who is a global leader in the development of visual data science software and collaborative technologies. What is that? To find out, let's talk to the Chief Operating Officer of Sequent, Graham Grant. Hi, Graham. How are you today? Hi, Brian, and thanks for having me on. No worries. Sequent, I'll be honest, I've never heard of you, but you're winning awards. Um, who are you? <laughs> it's a great question. We, we, we kind of think of ourselves as, I would say, New Zealand's best-kept um, technology export secret. Um, and even in mm-hmm. Canterbury, um, as a substantial employer, we're relatively unknown. I guess to help put some colour onto that for the audience, would we're essentially a very high-tech software company. Mm that's building software that models the subsurface. So in simple terms, we help companies see underground to make really critical business decisions. And, and the reason that matters, and it's so important, is that the underground, you know, below your feet, is complex and risky, and you can't see it. Mm. So you've actually got very little idea what's down there. Um, and businesses, you know, be it in all the sectors we work in, spend billions of dollars working underground. And to put that in some perspective, we have some customers working as far underground as Mount Cook is above ground, if that helps explain the subsurface. Wow. That's pretty far underground. What? Um, and to do that, you've got to be innovative, right? So we that's the focus, is the subsurface. That's what we're all about. And our innovation is has a singular goal, and we want to be the best in the world and own the subsurface from a software perspective. That's what we do. In terms of the software, uh, it's obviously... Is it 3D modelling software? I see that um, you're, you're quite famous worldwide for your software called Leapfrog. What's that? That's right. Well, that is, that's the kind of heart of the modelling component that I mentioned. Mm. And um, Leapfrog has inside it some pretty secret mathematical source, which is how we've managed to carve out um, our space in the industries we operate in, but actually, you know, it's absolutely world-leading. You know, we were first to market with this approach to doing what we do, um, and it's an extremely powerful um, and innovative piece of technology. Let's talk about some examples of where this is working around the world. I noted on your blog online that, that this is going as far as South Sudan and right into some very remote places in Africa. Talk to me about that example. Yep. So um, we've been used. Um, in fact, we've um, yep, just as we speak, um, we have software going into a, a new Sudanese uh, mining company. But actually, we used you know right around the world um, to give you a sense of the kind of firms we, we started them in the mining industry, and we have 21 of the 25 world's largest uh, mining companies on our books. But actually, um, our software is used in 90 countries around the world, um, and you know everywhere you can think of that mines. Um, for minerals or other resources, um, our software will be. 
Um, and so mining has been the heart of what we do, but the, the nature of the software and the innovative way in which it can model this complexity of the underground means that it's naturally moved off from mining into other sectors. So um, as well as that footprint globally in the mining sector, we've shifted into other global sectors like the energy sector, so geothermal. Mm. Um, in New Zealand, um, listeners might know of uh, Mercury or Contact Energy. They would be great examples of customers here. Um, but we are in all of the major geothermal markets around the world. Um, on the civil engineering side, again, um, infrastructure engineering is a subsurface problem um, in many instances. And so the software has recently been developed and launched uh, to provide what is effectively a world-first solution in the civil infrastructure market. Again, put a local um, context on that. So Oricon are using the software in Auckland City Rail Link Project, which is New Zealand's largest transport infrastructure project, mm. the underground rail link from Brittamart up to Mount Eden. Um, and, and equally, it's been used in environmental markets such as groundwater um, contaminant modelling and those sorts of things. Yeah, that groundwater one's really fascinating from that, that sedan example too. So you guys have been around since 2004. Talk to me a little bit about your story and the scale of growth we've seen in the last 14 years. It's a great sort of, you know, Kiwi get started, um, grow fast story. I mean, we started with one staff member, very humble beginnings in 2004, which is actually not that long ago. Um, by the end of this year, we'll be 250 people. Uh, turning over around 50 million New Zealand dollars, um, 100% of that revenue, almost 100% of that revenue, not all, is is export. Um, and as a consequence of that global growth, we have our staff uh, based around the world. So we've got teams in 17 locations now, and that that, that continues to grow. Yeah. And we're actually a you know the the growth has been fundamentally about you know business basics, profitable growth, growing under our own steam, essentially reinvesting our profits to accelerate growth is how we've done it. Um, and you know, put in a percentage perspective on that, we, we for the last five years we've grown north of thirty percent a year, and that's accelerating. How do you sustain such growth? There's obviously got to be some investment involved, uh, and there was a recent announcement in regards to uh, an investment partner to, to continue that growth. Yep, you need um, you know to sustain that growth. You need you know partnerships at multiple levels, both from a you know, although you know we haven't been a, a debt-funded business, you need um, you know you need um, financial partners to go with you, both for funding and for uh, for skill. And we've been very privileged to have Pincaro um, as part of our journey for the last four years, and they continue on. They're you know really a premier New Zealand um, private equity firm. Hmm. Um, and more recently, um, you had the announcements two or three weeks ago that Cell KKR from Silicon Valley have also got involved. And, and they are really there to support the company vision and where the management team is taking this business. So it remains as a you know, New Zealand business headquartered here in Christchurch, and we'll, um, they are really invested in our growth story and want to be part of that. So that's a, a key part of the growth, but it's more than that. It's, it's a team. You, know, you need a highly flexible, very energetic and passionate group of people to sustain um, a growth rate that we, the growth trajectory that we are on. Yeah, who's in your team? Who are the key members, and and what are some of the stories uh, that have come out of of this? What has been some serious growth, particularly uh, in the last five years? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, um, I would. Who are the key people? There's 250 of them. Um, there's there is good no answer. Good answer. In the other, I mean, <laughs> you know, we've got folks dotted all over the world. Um, you know, we've, for example, as as far afield as Mongolia. Um, 
in Mali. Um, we have, uh, you know, one of our team based in Bamako and Mali, which is very strategic for us because of, you know, Francophone um, Western Africa. We have people in Wales, we've got people in Sweden, Denmark, um, you know, multiple locations around the world. And, and that's pivotal because we believe fundamentally in being close to our customers and listening and understanding a business problem and then setting out to solve that problem with technology. So we're not some kind of, you know, we're not a software company that builds product and lobs it over the fence. We build it yep. based on the problems the clients are facing. So you're really tailoring it to the needs of that particular job. And, and I guess when it comes to going underground, a lot will depend on the geology of that particular area. And we see in New Zealand um, the different topography between you know the South Island and the Rock and the Schist and then coming up through the North Island um, where, you know, particularly in the central North Island where I'm from, there's a lot of rhyolite, there's a lot of volcanic rock. Auckland, there's a lot of basalt around here. So I guess different even just different regions in New Zealand pose different, I guess, issues and complexities for you guys to work through? They have vastly different issues, and it also depends. It's the intersection of both the geology and and the context of the problem you're solving. So if you're in Auckland building a tunnel um, with a tunnel boring machine, you want to make sure you don't bump into basalt because um, that'll blunt in the tunnel boring machine, it will stop. So mm. knowing where it is from that perspective is important. If you're a geothermal uh, business in the Central North Island, you want to actually know more about the reservoir of effectively you know, hot water and hot rock and and how the, the steam and water transports itself through that to enable you to effectively manage a common resource, mm. um, it, which is a different problem again. Or if you're a railway company and you're more interested in um, you know stability and continuation of the railway network to make sure it's not um, interrupted, that's a different problem. So maybe you're right, it, it all it all um, it all trails back to geology, but ultimately the problem that's been solved is fundamentally different in each instance. One of the possibilities where this, uh, and this is a very important issue worldwide, is the subterranean storage of spent nuclear fuel, which we don't have in New Zealand. But this is also an area where there is some possibility where your technology can help. Yeah, and it's um, this is a, a sort of a we have a number of areas um, around the world where we're sort of working on frontier applications of the technology into sort of new problems. So the ones I talked about earlier are core business, if you will, but there are numbers of areas, be it that or water or a range of other areas, where we're pushing into to help um, companies and countries understand that context. And the nuclear one is challenging. You're right, we don't think about that a lot in New Zealand because we're so fortunate that our effectively our base load electricity in New Zealand is almost half renewable. Mm. Um, countries like the UK, um, Germany, France, and until recently Japan use nuclear as, as a critical part of their base load power generation um, because it's stable um, and it's long-lasting and so forth. It's one problem is what do you do with the waste? And if I remember the statistics correctly, I think there are around 290,000 tonnes of um, spent nuclear waste in storage around the world. And most of that is what you call um, temporary storage in the sense that it's housed in a location that still contains risk. And so one of the areas we spent some time working with were the Finns who sought sought to, the Finnish government essentially sought to sponsor a project to create the the world's first ever deep store. And a deep store means that you're putting... Um, nuclear waste in a location with a design life of beyond a thousand years. Mm. So the half-life of the radioactivity at that point would would cause no issues. And that meant a deep understanding of the geology because you're looking for rock that is fundamentally stable that in the instance of any earthquakes or ground movement 
that it would not destabilise the store and it would not cause any risks in groundwater, for example. So um, we've been working closely, and it's quite well publicised now, um, with a Finnish nuclear agency to um, be part of the project that effectively enables that, um, that deep store, which is under construction right now. Well, that's really fascinating that you're, you're moving away, well, not moving away, but as well as your core business in terms of information and 3D imaging for mining, you're looking at some of the, the large environmental issues around the world and saying, hey, we've got a flag to wave because the technology we've got can help in these areas. And that's that's just a, a classic example of little old New Zealand really punching above our weight, isn't it? That's right. And, you know, that, that ex- the nuclear example there really it, it pulls back to your earlier point that it, it all ties back to a common issue, which is understanding the underground. Um, you know, we have a, we're working on a large project at the moment in Los Angeles, for example, who for many years has been pumping, you know, water out of their aquifers. And as a consequence, the city um, has been sinking. Um, that same problem exists in Jakarta that you would have heard reported recently, and, and it exists in, in other locations in Mexico City. So working with the water authorities to understand the movement and storage of water in these large, uh, massive subterranean aquifers as they look to effectively recharge those aquifers and pump them back up again um, to both stop subsidence but also stop the inward movement of seawater from the sea, which is a problem in many coastal communities and cities around the world. As the world you know, urbanises, it pulls on its water resources, effectively drawing seawater into those aquifers. So once that happens, you've poisoned the aquifer. Um, so again, same problem, it's geology, it's understanding the underground, but the application in that instance is providing large populations with you know, fresh water on an ongoing basis. And, and we've been very fortunate that that same thinking has been applied in, in many um, humanitarian situations. You know, our teams were involved in supplying technology to support um, the Rohingya refugees um, as they moved en masse um, from Myanmar. There was, what, 600,000 of them, I think, um, they needed access to fresh water, so the technology was used to help identify um, fresh drinking water that could serve a population of that scale on the move. Um, so again, it's, it all comes back to a common problem. You need to see underground, you need to understand it, um, and then apply that to the particular problem you're trying to solve. Such an interesting chat here with the COO Graham Grant from Sequent. Just finally, you're Christchurch-based, you're growing, you're getting big. You're going to stay in Canterbury we are. Um, we are in Canterbury. We're, we're proudly headquartered here. We kind of think of ourselves as an, now you know, we're a truly international software company headquartered in New Zealand with with a major development centre here. We also have a development centre in, in Canada. We have one in, in Africa. But this is a major development centre, and and it's um, you know our challenge is the pains of growth, and mm. we have a super passionate, really smart team here. But we need software engineers. Um, we desperately need really smart software engineers who are motivated to change the world. So, you know, we want to grow our team in Christchurch, um, but, you know, we kind of, I put the appeal out, there are smart software engineers out there wanting to change the world, come see us, because, um, you know, we've got a lot on and we need help. So um, we're always keen to hear from people who want to come and bolster our team. We've got a fantastic office just over the park, from the park, and uh, it's a great location, super culture, and you get a chance to be involved with some of these huge companies and huge worldwide problems and, and as I say, change the world, and that's got to be a good thing. Do you think that's a skills shortage problem that New Zealand has in the software industry? Look, I think in, um, in any country the size of New Zealand, if you are taxing, uh, if you're an export-orientated business like we are, you know, and you're tackling global problems and you're growing fast, 
you're pulling on um, that local um, population's talent pool. And it, it goes with any country around the world that's focusing on technology and um, technology engineering. They have to move fast to build that talent base. And so, you know, this is a, you know, this would be a, a broader statement for New Zealand Inc. That be it through schools, be it through universities, um, that we are encouraging our kids um, and our students to focus on these, you know, high growth industries where there are opportunities because people will ultimately be our, uh, our point of short supply, and that is the, that is the rate limiter um, for businesses is access to talent. And so, you know, is there a shortage? We, you know, we we're very successful in our recruiting programs, but we are always looking for more super smart software engineers, and so. You know, it's um, we certainly can't. Um, all I can say is, you know, we'll, we'll always be in the market. Um, I just hope that New Zealand can continue to supply it, which so far it can, which is great. That's Graham Grant from Sequent. You're listening to the Weekend Variety Wireless on Radio Live. You're tuned in to the Weekend Variety Wireless. Approaching 10 o'clock here on the Weekend Variety Wireless. Thank you for your company this weekend. Ryan Bradley in for Graham Hill. For replays of any of the interviews over the weekend, including Skeptical Thoughts with Susie Wiles or Media Stick with Tamar Monk, head to radiolive.co.nz, click on Shows, the Weekend Variety Wireless, and there is a huge library of all the interviews and catch-ups that I've had this weekend and Graham has had in the past too. So worth a look on radiolive.co.nz. Now it's news time and after 10 o'clock we'll catch up with John Dibvig. Yep, he's in and he's fired up for this letter from America. Now though, news time with News Hub.